0: Just go to Indeed.com slash wire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed.
1: In 2003, Nike signed 13-year-old Freddie Adu to a seven-figure contract. But Freddie didn't live up to the hype. He is turned down Every single documentary project looking closely at the details of
2: his career. Until now, people are going to look at everything you did because of the hype surrounding your arrival and what they think you can be. I'm Grant Wall, and
1: this is American Prodigy Freddie Adu from Blue Wire Podcasts.
0: Blue Wire.
3: All right, welcome back to Big Screen Sports, the sports movie podcast, brought to you by Blue Wire Podcast, and this week presented by Indeed and BetOnline.ag. I am your host Kyle Banduho. Today's episode is a special episode. It's episode 100 of Big Screen Sports. We have somehow put out a hundred of these. Um, I, w- I was was going to have a normal episode until last week. I, I saw that it was 99 and uh, figured put together a a best of. Best of clip. And I just wanna say, um, first and foremost, that I am so appreciative that that so many people have listened to this podcast over the past year and have made this something that's that's a little financially viable, but just to have supported it and chimed in, you, you know, you listeners who join the Facebook group and people who um reply on Twitter and, and you know, it's this has always been just a fun passion project of mine and I'm just really, really grateful that anyone will listen to it um, and you know I, I, I thought maybe it might just be like my dad and that's it so um, to see that that many more people have checked that out has been really rewarding really fun I'm gonna keep it going a couple other shout outs before we get into the best of section uh, my fiance has put uh, put up with a lot of, of late night recording and random me you know getting into bed at midnight because I was up editing including like right now um she she is putting up with a lot for me doing this this dumb little passion project. Um, a special shout out to my first guest and my buddy J.r. Hickey who who helped me get set up with everything and, and has shown me the ropes and has been a true asset. Um, the The cool thing about doing podcasts or doing content in general um, so many people have been so helpful and so willing to give advice and time um the countless people have helped me with like sound quality advice or equipment stuff um just general advice mike schubert and bobby wagner come to mind they're past guests as well but those guys have been um extremely helpful extremely kind uh you know shout out blue wire pods who uh i've been on been on team blue wire i guess for a little over a year now um they've they've made this uh they've helped me out a ton uh, a lot of a lot of good advice from that group as well, um, and and also just you know that that kind of support, that backing, that has been great. Uh, shout out Kevin Jones, Scott Reinen, Tyler Chin, um, and then also guests. Uh, when I first started this podcast, that's what I was most because it, it's been a solo show from the get go. Um, you know, getting getting guests and stuff was something I was a little bit worried about. Just did the first few episodes with friends, and it has been The coolest part about doing this has not just been like talking about sports movies, which is obviously something I love, something I think is very fun. But how many incredibly talented people who have taken time that they in no way needed to take because the doing this podcast is in no way helping them in any shape or form. Uh, And and it's been awesome. Um, You know, 100 episodes deep and so many people who I never thought would have given me the time of day. Have answered a random DM from a weird guy asking him to talk about sports movies, and everyone's been polite and generous with their time, and and you know help promote the show after they've been on, and it it just I'm very grateful. I've gotten to record episodes with um you know with people like uh, Keith Law and JJ Cooper from Baseball America come to mind. Guys who's writing and stuff I've been a huge fan of you know since I was a teenager. Uh, that you know that's been cool uh, the first clip that I I am showing today is with with Ryan McGee from ESPN who I've been a longtime fan of his work and I'm just I'm so grateful that they all took the time um, so you know here's some best of a couple clips kind of you know pulled a- asked some of the uh, the Facebook group what they thought the best clips of this you know this episode were, this uh, the show have been pulled from some of my my favorite movies, favorite episodes, favorite guests, but every I, I've had a blast with every single episode, um, and I, I appreciate anyone who's listened to you know even half of these hundred. Um, I appreciate anyone who's listened to any of these, honestly. Um, but in two weeks, we're going to shift this podcast into a rewatch of Eastbound and Down Season 1, uh, so I'm looking forward to that. Until then, if you didn't listen to a few of the episodes today, go back. We've got a hundred. We've got a hundred episodes of this. Um, so, going to get right into it. Uh, Ryan McGee from ESPN. Uh, he joined in the beginning of 2020 to cover Days of Thunder, uh, the the Tom Cruise NASCAR movie, and he was such a wealth of knowledge and information. Uh, I, the clip I'm going to play is when we're talking about the most and least authentic. And the, the what was amazing about having Ryan as a guest was he is a huge super fan of this movie, but also a NASCAR savant and, you know, deep in the history and it was made for such an effective episode. I basically just got to sit back and listen, uh, which I I try to do. I, I am too much of a talker to, to let my much, my much, uh, more talented guest get more of the talking in, but I, I tried to sit back and just let Ryan work. So, um, here is a clip from an early episode, uh, January of this year, I think, uh, days of thunder with Ryan McGee. Definitely worth a look, but it's time to get get back in gear for the insanity that is uh, Days of Thunder. And let's talk <laughs> the the most authentic and least authentic sports centric parts of this movie. Ryan, what did you have for you know as a, as a NASCAR lifer? What did you have for the the most authentic part of this movie?
4: Well, the big thing, and I think we discussed it a little bit already, was um, you know, the stories are real. Like you know the you can't pit right now because we're eating ice cream. That happened to Benny Parsons. And, and, you know, th- those, those stories were real. And Rick Hendrick is the guy who, you know, obviously was sort of played by Dennis Quaid. He, he's the one that shared those stories, you know, with the filmmakers. And so to me, that was part of it. And, um, and, and there was the, uh, it, it just, the, the, way that, uh, the cars looked and the way that pit stalls were set up and all of those things, it just, it was very authentic to the time. And I think that's part of why that movie has had legs. You know, as NASCAR fans have kind of become obsessed with nostalgia uh, over the last decade, and the good old days of the 90s and all that, um, that part of it, to me, is uh, is the best part, is, is the most authentic part. It's just the the feel of it.
3: See, and I didn't want to make a—it it, felt—I mean, it felt real to me, but I'm not a NASCAR lifer. I'm not a NASCAR savant. I didn't really know. I didn't wanna, really want to throw down something for— for most authentic, uh, this isn't really sports centric. It's pretty authentic with uh, Tom Cruise trying to pretend to be sexual with Nicole Kidman. For you take that for what it's worth. They got married uh, right after this movie, I believe. So yeah, uh, there relevant. was
4: something there, right? Yeah, no, the uh, yeah, who knows? Maybe the sweet and low drafting scene was what finally made them realize that they were uh, they were destined for each other, at least for a little bit.
3: That might have done it. What did you have for the least authentic thing?
4: Well, I mean there's there's the stuff that that NASCAR fans have, but but even more so people within the NASCAR community nitpick on. Like uh I can't remember where they've just raced in the film, but he's clearly at a hotel in Daytona. And this is of course the, you know, uh you know, Cole, let me out of the car. You know that scene where he where he's battling mm-hmm. with the taxi driver. Yeah. That hotel's in Daytona. I can't remember where it was they were supposed to, but but, but the part that 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 hangs everybody up is they've just raced somewhere and he says he's got maybe Wilkesboro he's got to catch his flight back to Charlotte which no one everybody Wilkesboro is only maybe maybe an hour north of Charlotte and nobody's catching a flight to Wilkesboro or from Wilkesboro and never has and never will and so so just a little things like that and like you know they 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 throw up a shot of what's clearly like Phoenix and i think they call it Rockingham like with the with the graphic and they do that a couple times in the movie those are the things that drive uh, NASCAR fans crazy, and it's like that with Talladega Nights. It's like that with with really any racing movie. You know, Ford versus Ferrari, which obviously just got nominated for best picture. Um, that's the most authentic racing film ever made, and that's that's not even there, there's not even an argument there. But there's still little things. You know, they're at Daytona, and I know that they're at the California Speedway. I can just tell looking at the shape of the track. And so there's little things like that 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 will drive you crazy if you lit them. And then, of course, the scene I talked about, I mean, the opening scene, really, after that great montage that, that starts the film, and it cuts to uh, that barn, which is, by, by, by the way, still uh, still sits there. People show up and take pictures of it all the time north of Charlotte, but the, the big graphic says Charlotte, North Carolina, and that uh, that is not Charlotte, North Carolina.
3: <laughs> so it's so it's a lot of nitpicky stuff that drives the NASCAR community yeah. crazy with this one. Yeah,
4: and, you know, and, and, and listen, and, and obviously... I mean, you know, the, the you know pass him on the outside at Darlington to win a race, and, um, you know, he passes however many cars, uh, you know, to win at Daytona, and he does it by constantly shifting, which no one ever does at Daytona, you know, unless they're just pitting and not pitting. But but it's just little things like that if, if you're a super hardcore fan. It's just like if you watch, like, the Babe Ruth story, that original film from whenever it was, and I can't remember the poor guy's name now, but, you know, not only was he not left-handed, but it's the worst swing you've ever seen, and it didn't look anything like Babe Ruth's swing. But, you know, it's just the little things like that that'll drive you crazy if you let it.
3: Yeah, I, for, same thing for Least Realistic. I didn't really want to put something down. It's more of a question for you. It seems like this movie takes place over kind of the course of the year because he seems to to get on, get in with NASCAR after the Daytona 500, and the movie finishes at the Daytona 500. It just seems like a lot happens in a year. It says he wins five out of six races, him and Russ Wheeler both come on the scene. That's two rookies. Is that out of the ordinary? Or is that something? That's, is there precedent for that?
4: Well, it's it's not out of the ordinary for rookies to for multiple rookies to break in in a year. It's a little unusual for them to break in like in the middle of a season, and it's certainly unusual for them to break in into the middle of a season and immediately start winning races. Now, it was that's super inaccurate uh, when it goes back to the nineties. You know, what's interesting is it changed. Right after that, you know, Jeff Gordon made his debut as a rookie the following year or, or just like three years later after the film came out. And after Jeff Gordon came along, now it didn't seem impossible for a 20-something-year-old with California roots to show up and immediately start winning races. But but in 1990, uh, for Tom Cruise just to parachute in and immediately start winning races, that's not how it worked. Guys like Rusty Wallace, Dale Earnhardt, Daryl Waltrip, they all had to drive you know, for, for lower-level teams and drive junky cars, and they usually had to put in, you know, pay their dues for several years before they got into a car that could actually win. So for Cole Trickle to just jump in and immediately start winning races felt crazy at the time, but Tim Richmond, the, 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 the real-life person that he was basically based on, sort of did that. It took him a couple of years, but then just two years later, Jeff Gordon can change everything. And, uh, and yeah, so it, it wouldn't seem as unrealistic now. Uh, as it did now.
3: Okay, next up is is from another recent episode but the the Big Screen Sports Facebook group the listeners shouted this one out multiple times said we needed to do a a clip from this one. Um it's covered a Night's Tale recently with Brian Gill from Mad About Movies and Spread the Floor podcast. Uh Brian Brian and the guys over at Mad About Movies have been doing um have been in the podcast game, the movie podcast game for longer than just about anyone. Um, Brian has taken the time three times to come on the show. I love talking movies with him, and we are both a huge fan of Knight's Tale, uh, A Night's Tale, which is streaming on Netflix. Uh, fun episode. This clip is when we are talking about the best scenes in the movie. Um, we, we noted two of the favorites. One of them is the emotional uh, father-son reunion, and the other is when uh, the, the Black Prince of Wales uh, just makes some stuff up to free Heath Ledger's character. Here's Brian Gill from Mad About Movies talking about A night's Tale. Brian, I'm gonna say I'm including this one because you, like me, are a father, and you, (laughs) like me, are a crier. (laughs) And the the flashback of William being introduced to Sir Ector and the goodbye with his father, like. That hits me a lot different now than it did in two thousand one.
5: Sure, yeah, and then the the one that gets me is right that comes right after that is when he you know he actually is reunited with his father. Like those two scenes are are maybe not back to back, but they're close. close They're pretty
3: much pretty much back to back because that's the next one on my list. Sure,
5: and the the. There's another scene that that if if you don't mention here in a bit, then I certainly will. Is the one that I I remember the most, and is the one that that gets me um, in in the 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 feelings, I guess, and gets you know really really works for me on an emotional standpoint. And so that's the one I kind of think about when I sat down to watch. Na- a I Tale last night, I was like, oh man, that sequence is gonna is gonna kill me. It's gonna be awesome, but I'm definitely gonna I'm gonna cry. And then I kind of forget about the separation then reuniting with his father and how emotional that is when um you know his blind dad is like did did my son you know did did he find his way home and
6: I have word Master Thatcher
7: word of your son
2: of my William Come in sir what word Does he live?
7: Aye, he lives. He is very well. He wanted you to know that he changed his styles after all.
8: And has he followed his feet? He found his
2: way home at last
9: yes
5: oh, Father. With you. Oh my God. all that sort of stuff yeah definitely that definitely gets you differently as as a dad than it did um, you know, I was I think I was seventeen, eighteen when this movie came out. So def- definitely a different feeling um in those moments than than it was first go round, for sure.
3: It's a great father-son cry moment. And then that moment unfortunately is like right away is like, oh Adamar finds him out, which like he's definitely some galaxy brain stuff going from like, okay, I followed him to this random guy's house, but I'm just going to assume that he's, he's illegal. (laughs) Yeah. Uh, but that, that turns into that scene of everyone begging William to run, which is a, which is kind of a great moment in, in a weird way. It kind of, you know, you see that, uh, that Jocelyn is really here for him. Jocelyn is ready to live with the pigs, live in, live in pig shit. Uh, the last scene I've got is I mean, and it's a cop out. Every every sports movie, the final joust, uh, the latch it to me arm is absolutely the <laughs> cut my eye moment. Like pulled it directly from Rocky. Uh, but because of that, you get Betnay doing his final his final thing. You get the Sir William Thatcher moment. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, it's it's a good it's a good moment. You a hundred percent know it was coming. Sure. There was no yeah, yeah. there was nothing surprising about that last joust. <laughs> right. Right. Did yeah. I miss any of your so, favorite scenes? You, you
5: did. You did. My favorite scene in the movie. And that all those are great. And then the way that it ends, it's it's perfect. I think the scene with him, with uh, with William and and Prince Edward is like the best scene in the movie. I love it. Oh, I think the, it's uh, so when he's cool. when he's locked when, up. Yeah, when he when he's in the, the stocks or or whatever that's called, um, I don't know. Ton of medieval weaponry and torture history, so sorry. Um, (laughs) But when he when he's locked up and and the crowd's throwing lettuce at him and everything, and and then you know out out of the crowd comes comes Prince Edward, and he he has that whole thing of he. I think that guy is such an underrated actor, and I uh, James Purifoy is his name, and and I I go every. Every once in a while I'm reminded of his existence and I go and I check his IMDb like maybe I missed something cool that he's been in and you're just kinda looking through it, and you're like, nope, nope, it's mostly not great. It's just it's just kinda I don't know
3: if there. you watched the following, but just <laughs> yeah. seeing his face terrifies me. Yeah, yeah, that yeah. That show totally. was not great, but like he was terrifying yeah
5: at it. yeah he that's exactly how i felt watching i didn't watch all of that show that was one i dropped off of after a little bit but i was like man he's really good Same. this is not the type of show that i i want really in my life but but he's very very good at this but i just think he's better than what his uh than how his career has gone to this point but that scene It seems
3: to be a theme of this movie oh
5: for for sure for sure but yeah but like him him getting down on his knees and talking to to william and i think the line this is maybe this is jumping into the next segment but the the line he says is your men love you and if I knew nothing else about you, that would be enough. I always, that always gives me the goosebumps. I just think it's such a really, it's che- like on the page, right? Like that's a cheesy line or, or sort of monologue that he delivers there. But, um, but I think it's delivered really well and it, the, the, uh, the, the movie, the way it's staged and whatnot and framing of the shot and all this stuff, it works really well. And so I think that sequence is awesome.
0: What a pair we make, Both trying to hide who we are. Both unable to do so.
8: Your men love you. If I knew nothing else about you, that would be enough.
0: But you also tilt when you should withdraw. And that is knightly,
5: too. And that's the, for, I guess, probably the first thing I think of when it's like, hey, am I going to f- fire up a knight's tail? It's like, okay, the jousting. That's the first thing that jumps to mind. For me, the second thing that jumps to mind is that sequence with, with him um, letting him out of the stocks and then and then knighting him kind of right there on the spot. And pulling some some hardcore, like... Uh, <laughs> old school English monarchy type thing of like, yeah, my uh, my historians looked and uh, and they said this guy used to is comes from a long line of of uh, royals. So, uh, yeah, this it is what it is. You're gonna have to trust me. Like, I I think that's a really funny bit. Yeah,
3: that goes to something I had uh, I had written down for you later, but I guess I'll ask now. Question for you. Did Prince Edward make all that shit up? <laughs> For sure, because sure co- yeah. my personal my personal <laughs> historians, aka some shit yeah. I made up on oh, the spot.
5: Yeah, hundred percent, hundred percent. Like it's his delivery on that so funny. Basically, like call my bluff. Anyone gonna call my bluff? It reminds me of like uh of uh, the Office when when Pam. When they get bought by by Saber and Pam, just like oh, I got promoted to office manager right before this all went down, and the paperwork got lost, and she's just staring at Gabe like, "I go on, say that I'm lying. I dare you to say I'm lying. It's very much that, except except he's creepy and was a serial killer in another show, so it's a, it's a lot more intimidating than than <laughs> uh, than Pam Beasley is, but. But uh yeah no I I think I, he's absolutely full of it there no question but I love it that's 100% 100% like yeah if you're not going to uh, if you're not going to be corrupt for the right reasons then what's the point of being a, uh, an English monarch you know that's that, at exactly least monarch, yeah.
3: and he's just he's literally just like hey this is a good dude he helped me out <laughs> once like sure <laughs> yeah. i'll change his life right. completely right. and right this and is granted no this is status. no
5: no sweat off my back whatsoever.
3: That episode on a night's tale is one of my favorites. Love having Brian on the pod. Another guy I love having on the pod, guys. Shout out earlier, Mike Schubert, host of Potterless, host of meddling adults, host of Horse, uh, has come on this pod to cover High School Musical, to cover the quidditch scenes of Harry Potter, to cover School of Rock last month. And uh, this is a clip from us talking Pitch Perfect which um, was a really fun episode, a lot of Ben Platt appreciation, especially here when we talk about the Lenny Harris Pinch Hitter Award for Supporting Character and The Big Chill. Here's Mike Schubert. I think that's a good segue to what is typically the kevin costner and Freddie prince jr award for best and worst on-screen athlete in a normal episode i've got this down as best and worst on-screen job depiction in this movie (laughs) i would think it is just who is the the best acapella singer Mm -hmm. i think ben platt is easily your your kevin costner for best best singer ben platt's
1: very good i would also like to give some love to indian rapper beatboxer guy on the troublemakers Yes, that is a very important part of an acapella troupe is the person that does the instrumentals. That's another unbelievable thing is that they have more than one person doing the instrumentals in a lot of these. You'll have multiple people beatboxing, which doesn't work. Uh, but I think he does a really good job of doing some beatboxing and coming in for the raps. His his rap during the finals really good. He does a very solid job of it.
3: The character is Donald. I'm not going to okay, do Donald. I'm not going to be rude about his name. I would just butcher it completely um but he the the actor does does a fantastic job Mm -hmm. i agree
1: and from watching it my wife kelly pointed out that he apparently is in the mindy project and also plays a rapper
3: oh so good for him i mean i I also think like kevin g walked so this guy could run (laughs) (laughs) uh let's go into the the lenny harris pinch hitter award for best supporting character i have a few nominees uh, John Michael Higgins and Elizabeth Banks as Gail mm-hmm, and John, mm-hmm. you know, just in the spirit of Cotton McKnight and Pepper Brooks some dodgeball, really. Um, ben Platt as Benji. Them having Ben Platt Gosh. in this role, just like right when he gets going, it's like the, the Angels were able to pay Mike Trout league minimum for three years. <laughs> That's what they have with Ben Platt here. Um, yeah. Rebel Wilson is Fat Amy. I'm not sure we call her Fat Amy in 2012. Right. Uh, Christopher Mintz Plass is Tommy. I just have to acknowledge him. <laughs> the, the character of McLovin is very important to me. Uh, Super Bad's a very important movie to me. Uh, I just couldn't not mention him that he's mm-hmm. in this movie. Um, Adam Devine is Bumper Allen. Bumper Allen, incredible Gosh, name. Really good. Uh, Hannah Mae Lee as uh-huh. Lily. She's uh, really good. Incredible. The Snow Angel in the Puke <laughs> is, <laughs> is iconic. Uh, yeah, Did I miss any of your favorites.
1: No, no, not really. I, I think you, I think you hit it with everybody. Um, but yeah, the fact that the fact that Ben Platt is not technically top billing in this movie and it made sense because at the time, this was his first thing. It's just so funny to look back. It is Steph Curry first contract levels of humor situation going on where he is very clearly the MVP but is not getting paid all of the money. Um, and yeah, I think he comes in as the pinch hitter. Uh, he's, he's like, I'm trying to think of, uh, of a relevant sports thing, but you know, kind of the thing where someone go gets injured and you're like, oh my gosh, we're going to be so much worse. And then he's actually 30 times better.
3: <laughs> yeah. I mean, he, he's, he's the easy winner for best supporting character and then going into what i've been calling with these non sports movie, movies the big moment um, it's kind of you know sports movies have the big chill moment i guess mm-hmm. i guess i can just keep it the big chill i really yeah, I, I don't the, know I why mean, i changed it
1: speaking of chill the easy pick for this is something that i am not exaggerating 100% success rate of getting goosebumps when benji comes out during the final performance
8: ah!
7: I've got the magic in me. Every time I touch that track, it turns into gold. Now everybody knows I've got the magic in me. When I hit the floor, the girls come snapping at me. Now everybody wants some
3: presto These tricks that i blow your
1: mind. Same. I get Same. goosebumps every single time. I love that when he brings the microphone, he does a little of the close hand magic to make it come out. I love that the song is about magic, so it gives more emotional connection. His voice is angelic. Everyone else adding in the ooh in the background is really good. Got that moment just consistent. Goosebumps, 100% of the time.
3: It's the only moment like that in this movie for me, but it's really good. And mm-hmm. I think it makes for a clean Ben Platt sweep yes. in these categories. So he just, <laughs> oh, yes, He's yeah. just kind of owning this movie with very little screen time, which is very, I think, very... Even if his career had just had not been what it was, I think in this movie, it's still very apparent how talented he is.
1: Yeah, and it's funny, just the difference of, this was something we discussed before recording, is that this whole movie was a setup of Anna Kendrick's about to explode. And it's not that she's done poorly since, but she's not become lin-manuel miranda levels of beloved like everyone thought she would because oh she's talented and she's funny but she's also attractive but she's down to earth like i i like anna kendrick i think she's very funny when she does interviews she's solid but she's not exploded into the stratosphere and then ben platt who's just a side character in this movie is now ben platt
3: all right let's take a uh, quick ad break while i go listen to the uh, troublemakers final performance from pitch perfect Big Street Sports is brought to you by Indeed. 2020 has already reshaped how we work and it's almost over. Businesses across the globe are challenged to be their most efficient, which means every hire is critical. Indeed is here to help. Indeed is the number one job site in the world with more total visits than any other job site, according to Comscore. Unlike other sites, Indeed gives full control and payment flexibility over your hiring. You only pay for what you need and you can pause your account at any time and there are no long-term contracts. And now, Indeed's new way of matching you with candidates instantly delivers a short list of quality candidates whose resumes on Indeed match your job criteria so you can contact the moment you sponsor a job, making Indeed the only job site they can move as fast as you do. Right now, Indeed is offering our listeners free $75 credit to boost your job posts, which means more quality candidates will see it fast. Try Indeed with a free $75 credit at indeed.com slash bluewire. This is their best offer available anywhere. Right, Go right now to indeed.com slash bluewire. Offer valid through December 31st. Terms and conditions apply. Big Stream Sports is also brought to you by betonline.ag. Football is back in full swing, unless you're the Cowboys and you just suck. Uh, you might not be at a game this year, but you can still be in on the action at Bet Online. Bet Online is going the extra mile to make sure you can get in every possible chance to win this season. From game spreads and totals, team, player, and coaching props, Bet Online gives you more options to wager than anywhere else. You can get in on their season opening bonuses today and start off wagering on wins, division, and championship futures all day, every day. Head to Bet Online today to take advantage of all the great sign-up bonuses, and don't forget to use promo code BLUEWIRE, BetOnline.ag. That's BLUEWIRE, all one word. Bet Online, your online sportsbook experts. Okay, we're back from ad break. Uh, this next clip is an oldie but a goodie, I think. Um, so this uh, little backstory in this podcast—originally called it, it when if you're a if you're a day oneer, it was called Trouble with the Script, which is a terrible podcast name. But it was based off uh, the, the worst sports movie of all time is Trouble with the Curve. It's hands down. It's undisputed. It's the absolute worst. And it is part of the reason for starting this podcast. And it was my dream. I, I thought at some point down the road, maybe I'd turn, make this podcast huge. And i get Keith Law, who was then at ESPN, now at The Athletic, to come on and, and cover the movie. Because he'd be the perfect guest for it. And he... I it happened I think on Twitter he tweeted about the movie or something. I, I shot a shot and he ended up on episode seven, talking Trouble with the Curve. Uh this is also the episode that inspired me to start taking more detailed notes because I just had a bunch of stuff written down on a notepad. It got very scatterbrained. Uh but it, it was there's a lot to complain about with this one. Uh, I was also back when I was using Skype to record episodes, which uh no longer doing now, so it's not uh it's not the best audio quality out there, but it's you know Trouble with the curve is a dumpster fire. So here's us just roasting a little bit of that dumpster fire. Here's me with uh, Keith Law from The Athletic talking trouble with the curve. If you're going to make this guy, if you're going to say this is the number two pick, you got to make him look like You have to nail this casting choice. He needs to look, he needs to be an incredible looking baseball player. And he is everything but. Scout Bo Gentry for me. (laughs) Well, if I remember correctly, he's kind of a fat kid, right? Yeah, he's a bad body guy.
10: Yeah, he was supposed to be a five-tool player. They they love to say five-tool. That was another one. And I mean, trust me, five-tool gets thrown around a ton in the real world. It's usually wrong. There are five tools. To be a five-tool player, you must have all of them. Preferably more than just a little bit of all of them. And yet, this kid... I'm not sure he has more than one. I think he's supposed to have power. He sure as hell can't run looking like that. No. And no. there's nothing about him that looks first roundy. The best prospect I can ever remember seeing myself in, let's just stick to the 13 years I've been at ESPN, who looked even a little bit like this kid was Daniel Vogelbach. Vogelbach oh man, he
3: was a unit. I mean, he still is, but in high school, he was a
10: unit. Oh, he was a chonk. He was was overweight at the time,
3: Um,
10: which is, you know, I'm not fat shaming anybody. That's a legitimate issue, as you wonder what a player's body is going to look like as he ages, certainly. But he had a good swing. He could hit, and he had power. The problem is you were looking at a born DH. There was zero chance this guy was going to play in the field anywhere. So at what point in the draft do you consider taking a player like that? Well, Bo Gentry is like Daniel Bogelbach without the hit tool. So we're not talking about this guy in the first round. We're not talking about him on day one. We're probably not talking about him at all. And yet they hold this player up to us and that this kid's the second pick in the draft. you want to show me – if you told me I'm writing a script about a, a player who is highly coveted by scouts – But it's going to turn out in the end that he can't hit a breaking ball because sorry for the spoiler, but it is (laughs) in the title of the movie. And so, okay, that kid that I'm thinking of is going to be 6'3 with an Adonis-like athletic body, graceful movements. He can run. He can throw. He's going to have quick hands. So going to be some bat speed. You could make him look like anything. You know, he could be white. He could be African-American, anything like that. But he's going to be like tall and graceful, like fluid. You know, the way that you just see that guy move and you think, I don't know what sport he plays, but he's an athlete. That's what that guy needs to look like.
3: If you want this movie to work, you have to crush this casting decision. And they completely whiffed, no pun whiffed. intended. The kid has an awful swing. And I'm not like, I'm not at fault of the kid for taking this job, but he's no, no, no. clearly not a baseball player. He has an right. awful swing. One of the, the my least favorite parts in this movie is um the the scene where the the opposing pitcher is struggling on the mound and his coach tells him you know just to, to walk the guy don't give it don't give him anything to hit he gets irritated and throws one and uh, and Beau Gendry takes a swing and if you've played even a second of baseball watched a second of baseball ever you know that that ball off the bat is a shallow fly to right field and it mm-hmm. goes way out in left field right. Which I think is just the cardinal sin of baseball movies because it is not hard. I mean, hold a casting call at every college baseball team in the country and find a kid who can read lines decently and looks the part, and it is better than what they did for this movie.
10: Absolutely. Well, again, it comes back to like, the guys from Everybody Wants Somewhere. they got Tyler Hecklin, turns out, was a, was a decent. I actually talked to a scout who saw him in college and said, yeah, he was a pretty good college baseball player. It's, just, it's not a pro career, but that's a, certainly a compliment. It meant that he looked the part was able to hit a little bit, and he's a good-looking guy. That's it. That's all we're looking for in this part. Kid doesn't have a whole lot of lines. He just has to stand up there, swing the bat, look the part. And, and again, if you're talking about this archetype of player, this player exists, um, the player that's as written, not as cast, who turns out just can't hit a quality breaking ball. That happens all the time, actually. It's not that crazy a plot idea. But instead, they they took the wrong kind of kid. The kid I'm talking about, scouts are going to salivate over a kid like that. He's going to be some amazing athlete. He's going to be a multi-sport guy, in fact. That's the thing. He comes – he's from somewhere in Georgia,
3: and he's got a two-sport commitment. Was he perhaps a Nebraska commit who went to the Royals?
10: Yeah, something like that. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, Star, Starling could throw a little bit. He pitched on pitch as an amateur. He used to run better. He definitely had power. turned out he he had he, he had swing issues, but it eventually comes down to the same thing, which is he had a lot of other tools, and he couldn't hit. I, I can do. I've seen these players. I see these. I see players like this. Well, I see fewer high school players now over the summer than I used to. But I used to, I would see players like this all the time. They come out all the time, and for whatever, there's so many reasons why guys can't hit a breaking ball. I mean, if you can hit a breaking ball pretty well, you and and you can hit a fastball, you're going to end up in the big leagues. So this is not a crazy concept. They just they couldn't have missed. It comes back to what you and I are going to say this over and over again. All they had to do was find somebody who knew the game a little bit anybody. and would have said, anybody, anybody, I was available. Nobody called me. We could have, we could have, you and I could have gotten together and said, nope, 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 nope. Don't change this. Change that. All right. No, don't cast that guy. Definitely I was in college
3: desperate for him, right? money. I would have, I would have yes. been their con- I would have been their consultant for like 25 bucks.
10: <laughs> it would have been the best $25 they had ever spent.
3: Well, speaking of 25 bucks, another Bo Gentry related thing that they just completely botch is after the game, after one of the first games, his dad is saying, you know, no autographs. He signs up before the games for 25 bucks a pop. Surprise. He's now ineligible. He cannot go play in the NCAA. He has no draft leverage at all. So it like it's just it's something that would never happen. And how do you you don't even have to know baseball to know that that's not OK.
10: That stuff's in the news all the time. Players get. NCAA players get declared ineligible or suspended for accepting like a $5 meal voucher. It, it, this, again, it's how did they not know? Or, do, or worse, they knew and they didn't care, which actually feels a bit more likely, especially in this case. Glad you brought that up because I totally forgot that scene, but you're right. That is something that's like, again, just a basic detail. Again, you're, you are trying to cast, a, in any movie, you're trying to cast a little bit of a spell over the audience so that they'll just roll with you, that you're – you know, when, whether it's based on a true story or otherwise, there are going to be things in here where you kind of have to speed things along, change a timeline. Th- this movie just makes so many fundamental mistakes that there was no point where I was caught up in it at
3: all. All right, so next up, uh, th- this movie might be, I-, I talk about this a little bit. I think The Replacements is one of the best cable sports movie watches ever because it's on all the time. You don't lose anything because of cable, because of the censorship or anything like that. It's just a really fun movie. I think the football is really good. Um, and so for this episode, this was last year. I got Richard Johnson on, and if you don't know who Richard Johnson is, Richard Johnson is the best college football podcaster in the game, in my opinion. Uh, Him and Alex Kirshner, uh, split zone duo, Uh, a lot of times you will catch uh, Stephen Godfrey from Banner Society on there as well. It is a must listen both episodes every week, Uh, but I had Richard on, we talked about the replacements, here's a little clip about us talking about what happens to Keanu and co after the movie and how we might improve the movie. What happens to the Sentinels and Shane Falco after this movie? Do you think?
2: So I was interested in that because he like basically. So they make the playoffs with the win, and then the scab play or the other uh, the real players. The real players come back, right?
3: Yeah, so, that's my assumption.
2: So I think I think that they lose in the first round of playoffs because first and foremost, like I think that they say at one point in the movie that they haven't made the playoffs in seven years, right? So if they're, let's say they're, now I know the season's a little bit different because I think they say that the season, the, the season ending game is Thanksgiving night. So I, I guess we can infer that let's, let's say it's a 12 game season, right? Um, in this, this fictional week, strike shortened year, whatever. So 12 game season. So if they have to win three games to make the playoffs, I think they probably have to go like eight and four in this twelve. I think game that's a safe bet to make the playoffs. Let's let's call it eight and four in this league to make the playoffs. Um, so at the time the strike started, they were four and four. So they were an average football team, right? Like they were average. Yeah. So, like, I would imagine that they get bounced out of the playoffs in the first round.
3: Yeah, and, I mean, Martell is clearly not. So, I'm guessing Martell, because Martell, when he does his locker room freakout, says he's got two Super Bowl rings. I'm guessing those happened earlier in his career with another team.
2: Exactly. So, Martell's older. Worked, I worked backwards in that same way. I was like, oh, well, they haven't made a playoffs in seven years. Why is he even playing? And then I was like, oh, it's it's probably from a different team.
3: Yeah, he's he's already, he's got a big free agent contract or something. Um, yeah, I don't I don't think Martell has won the Super Bowl in Washington. He doesn't seem nearly as, as beloved in Washington as as a Super Bowl winning quarterback would be. Um I think post the replacements, I bet Shane can roll this into like a gig on a Fox College football morning show or something.
2: Oh yeah. Shane like Shane would be Shane would be very important after this. If Shane kind of came and saved the day like this, a lot of people would would love Shane.
3: Absolutely. Would this movie make a good 30 for 30 with it, with this story, make a good 30 for 30 had it been real.
2: Yes. Because I would like to have gotten the actual, you know, the actual labor negotiations and, and you know, how did the owner get Martell to cross the picket line? Um, you know, he called him a bitchy millionaire at one point in time. Like how, how did he get him to cross the picket line the night before Thanksgiving, the night before the biggest game of the season to make the playoffs? Like how, how did some of those things go around? Um, you know, what was, what was Jimmy McGinty, frankly? What was Jimmy McGinty doing? Um, you know, after he, he won in Washington in the past, you know, the owner fired him, and then he went to Dallas. He had, a, he had it out with that quarterback. Like, what was Jimmy McGinty doing? Like, a, a classic, you know, a, a good coach that had fallen off the hard times. How did his career kind of progress? So, yeah, I figured it would work.
3: You'd get some more insight on Falco's pro career, too, uh, which I would like to see. Uh, I would just love more Falco content, really. I'm, I'm very in on the character of Shane Falco. I think he's a top five Keanu character.
2: Yeah, yeah, big Falco fan, yeah.
3: How would you improve this movie if you were remaking it in 2019?
2: I would, you know, I, I think that we would definitely redo some of the labor negotiation stuff. Um, yes. But then again, it's, if, you know, the crux of the movie is, the, that's, that's the conceit of the movie. The conceit of the movie is the labor negotiation stuff. I don't know how you tweak this movie without going into, it, it's a very late nineties thing because obviously the baseball strike had been fairly fresh in people's minds a few years earlier. So this like notion of a league striking and player and replacement players coming in, like there was an NBA lockout, I think in like 96 or something. So like th- this, this labor strike between athletes and ownership is very fresh in the brain um in a way that it's not even now and especially because i feel like people tend to side with ownership a little bit less now than they did 20 years ago a little bit less but a little bit less than they did 20 years ago like i don't know i don't know how this movie plays in in, in this in this day and age if it comes out now
3: yeah really you know recently it was the 25th anniversary of the mlb strike and there were a lot of good pieces written about it and a lot of them touched on the animosity towards the players and you see that you know this movie comes out 6 years later you see that still spilling out uh in you know how the players are talked to how martel and them are referred to they they show martel and that other guy in the locker room martel's you know say do you know how much a ferrari costs a guy says like or martel martel says he's got child support another guy says how much a ferrari costs hackman makes this crack about they flew all of their castles and private jets Whereas now they'd be, you know, 20 years later, Martell, you know, is probably suffering from from some lifelong pain, I'm guessing, uh, just, you know, playing in the NFL for 10 plus years. So it, it, it would be a whole different thing. I'm not exactly sure, like you said, how they do it. Um, that, that, that's really the whole crux of the movie, because I think you could remake this movie and it'd be really good. If, even if you, you know, you don't change much at all. Maybe you uh, ease off the, uh, the cheerleader subplot. But you'd have to figure out how to work around that new owner-player dynamic. The owner would have to be seen as a lot greedier than this guy was.
2: Yeah, they would. It would have to be almost like uh like major league. It would have to be like the major league owner.
3: Okay, again, go listen to Split Zone Duo if you're a college football fan. Uh, next up, another another guy who has taken a ton of time to come on this podcast multiple times that serves him no. Gives him no benefit other than just talk about dumb movies. Uh, new York Times bestselling author Jeff Perlman. Uh, his new book, Three Ring Circus on the, the Shaq Kobe Lakers, is, was, was awesome. Um, go pick it up. This is us. This is the first time he ever came on the pod. Uh, Jeff, a little bit of chime in from his son Emmett talking Teen Wolf. Uh, typically on a, on a normal episode, we talk about the big chill moment. This is us talking about the big stupid chill moments in, uh, in Teen Wolf this one i want to go with a big stupid chill what what gave you the stupid chills the most i've got three nominees and then feel free to to tag in like 17 more uh the surfing usa when he's the wolf and he's surfing on the uh on the on the van on the new the wolf mobile i i just want to say
8: i guarantee you some kid in the 80s died a hundred percent guarantee a hundred percent if that had
3: if that had come out now that would have that it would have turned into like the Wolfman challenge on YouTube and some kid would have like gotten picked. <laughs> some kid would have been doing a handstand on a uh on a car and just gotten
8: like picked off by a light or something. Um And then everyone would have tweeted, there would have been like hashtag idiot surfer and nobody would have had empathy and they just would've mocked the poor kid for getting killed. Absolutely.
3: Yeah. Uh the last free throw that you mentioned with uh it's supposed to be so intense with Mick just staring down Scott while he's taking his jump free throws. Oh yeah. Um, and then the uh, the dance fight that that I just mentioned with Mick as well. Because it's supposed to be like super intense and it is yep. it is anything but. Do you have any other nominees? Does Emmett have any other nominees?
8: Yeah, yeah I think my son and I actually disagree with you on this one. We both believe the, the, the scene in that movie where you're just like, I can't believe I'm watching this. Is the singular moment when Chubbs is below the boards and people are flying around him. And he gets a rebound by hugging the ball. Like, literally, the ball is coming off the glass. It's coming to him. And he's waiting there with open arms. And I'm sure they said to the actor, all right, you're just going to rebound the ball. And he was like, oh, I can rebound the ball. Sure. And the ball comes to him. And he opens his arms like he's giving someone a hug. And he grabs the ball that way. And it's, like, supposed to be this big moment in the championship game where Chubbs is showing his might. It is so utterly, preposterously bad and laughable. Um, that every time I see it, I mean, I've tweeted about it a million times in my life because it just gives me the, the hurly the Hurl.
3: Did you notice the first game right before Chubbs, uh, throws the ball into the stands or throws it out of bounds when he's gotten that rebound in kind of the same manner, someone like off camera, I think yells, everybody's open. It's, <laughs> it's the best, but I don't think I can that's argue right. Chubbs getting that rebound is, is just awful You're in the right. best way, in the best way.
8: Also, like, I just want to say, like, there's a point. Okay, I can't get off this point, so I think it's important. It's 46-14 with 424 left in the third, okay? Mick makes a layup. So it's now 38-14. to It's 36-14. Now it's 38-14. Here's another thing about Teen Wolf. It's 38-14. The next time they go to the clock with 309 left, so a minute and something later, it's 36-25. So somehow, and I'm not saying it's not possible in this league, the uh, mixed team lost two points.
3: So if you've been listening to this podcast for a while, you know I I revere the works of Gavin O'Connor. He did Miracle and he did Warrior, the The only MMA film we've covered on this podcast because I don't know anything about MMA, but my guest, Dan Stupp, uh, formerly at The Athletic, he knows MMA. Uh, he was a great guest to have on for this one. Warrior is one of my favorite films. It gives me the chills a ton. Uh, this is, uh, me and Dan talking about what worked about warrior a lot worked about Warrior. if you haven't checked out warrior, go watch Warrior. I'm pretty sure it's on prime. Uh, if not, you know, at least rent it. It's great. And, uh, go check out this episode. If you haven't, it was, it was one of my favorites. Could not include a clip. Here's me and Dan. Stop talking warrior. Well, let's get into what worked. Cause I think there's a lot in this movie that, that worked, that made it, what it is, uh, my first note is is just the acting, especially the trifecta of Nolte, Hardy, and Edgerton. Um, there's a lot of great supporting roles in, in, in this one as well, but the the movie is is driving off those three. And um, did I just my question for you is did those guys, especially Edgerton and Hardy, did they like when I watch baseball movies? And and if you know you you worked in baseball, you can probably get this too certain guys, there's, there's a way that athletes carry themselves that might be specific to that sport. Did Edgerton and Hardy for you kind of come off that way?
6: I, I did. And, and the more I thought about it, I, I think they got the mannerisms, um, the way they talk, the way they move. But for me, it was simple, like as simple as the way they walked because MMA fighters are always injured or have, you know strained something or pulled something it just looks painful when they walk and, and there's a few different scenes where brendan walks into his classroom and he just looks like he's aching as he's walking and and that little thing just made it that much more believable
3: awesome well what else did you have do you have down that that just worked about this one and it can be sports centric ufc centric or just in general things that you enjoyed
6: I think just for a, a sports movie, the, the thing that really stood out to me is you you really need an underdog in the movie. And this one could have been easy to set up where there wasn't an underdog. But the fact that uh, Brendan was kind of coming out of retirement, that uh, his wife and and even his trainer really didn't want him doing it. Um, you know, the fact that he's fighting the great Koba and and pulling off kind of these upset wins like y- you need that underdog to root for uh, j- just like not to make it just feel like a sports movie, but just to get you to buy in that much more.
3: Well, that's one of the the classic fight movie traits that this one kind of checks off. There, yes. There's a couple of them. There's like the fighter in financial straits. you got Rocky, Cinderella Man, um, you know, that that kind of thing. Wife who's not having it. <laughs> Rocky, Cinderella Man, uh, the unique trainer with unique method methods. Rocky, it's like you know, Frank with his Beethoven is like is like Mick making you you know pound slices of beef and catch the chicken. It's the the 2011 version of that, um, and then yeah, and then and then the underdog. So the, this movie kind of hits every you know trope there's also you know every it seems like every boxing movie every fighting movie nearly every sports movie you got to have a montage and the split screen montage in this one is excellent like the espn clips are a really nice touch it gives the movie a sense of reality that it's actually happening in the real world um it shows the contrast and the training that brendan and tommy are do are doing you you see the improvement in brendan i thought the montage was really well done
6: Yeah, I I, at first just the the way kind of it was formatted. Uh, I remember the first time watching, I was like, Man, this is this is going to be cheesy. This is where the movie just completely derails into cheesy. But I the the way they cut it together, the actual content of the montage, I thought it worked super well.
3: Mm -hmm. Um, they also bringing in, I I love when sports movies bring in. Actual figures from that sport they had in in one of those ESPN clips, they had Rashad Evans in there, Sam Sheridan, um, Anthony Johnson, who was a fighter who he played Midnight Lee. I just (laughs) think that that, you know, lends credibility to the movie. And when you have people around the set or in the movie, they just know how to act like like they're a part of the sport. I think that just I think that I, I might, you know, I might just be like reading and I just think it comes through on film. Yeah, no, for sure. Um, I like the grainy filming style, it, especially in when it's like scenes when when Nolte and Hardy are on screen. It's re, a lot of the time. It's really dreary. It's just it's grainy. It's intentional. It puts you in that underdog gritty mood. I, I yeah. think that's that's really effective. That's that's really well done. I have to ask you about the the whole concept of of Sparta. Is there any precedent for that tournament?
6: It, yeah, there there is. And, and that is actually one of the more believable things. Um, if it, It's kind of funny that they could do the movie really without acknowledging the UFC other than kind of a passing mention that, that Brendan used to fight in the UFC. Um, but there was a time, it was actually probably when this movie came out, um, you know, where UFC ha- didn't have kind of the control over the industry that it does now. There were some bit players, um, uh, strike force was around, uh, for a while, a, a short lived one called affliction. Um, but I mean, there's been things that tournaments, not necessarily a $5 million tournament, um, that would, that happen that, that drew some big names. But I mean, even today, if you did a, a $5 million winner takes all tournament, I, I think guys would do, be doing whatever they could to get out of their UFC contracts for that chance of five million because uh, even top five, top ten guys in the world in their weight class sometimes still fight for no more than twenty dollars or $30,000 if they're lucky, which is just insane. I mean there's guys who are rightful uh, through – you know, especially probably throughout the past ten years who have been rightful number ones or number twos who are making 20000 a fight. Um, you know, who are going to take years off their life to make a hundred thousand dollars. And if you dangle $5 million in front of them, you will get the best fighters in the world. So that actually was kind of a really believable
3: thing. The whole Sparta tournament is just a very cool kind. Con- it's basically like Atlantic city. Kumite. Two more clips for you on this best of for our hundredth episode. Uh, this next movie you can watch on Netflix right now. It's one of the funniest sports movies out there. It's goon, Sean, William Scott, Liv Schreiber, uh, I am I am a huge fan of this movie. I'm also a fan of the two guests I have: Will DeFreeze, Brett Merriman from Wash Media. Um, Will is I've I've known Will about as long as I've been doing content. Um, great guy, uh, Brett. Same thing. We had a lot of fun talking to Goon. Uh, it, th- we, this is us talking about the best scenes of Goon, a movie that just I. Just like listening to a few of the clips from a few of these scenes just makes me almost crack a rib. Great stuff. Here's me, Will Defries, Brett Merriman from Wash Media, talking about the best scenes of Goon. Let's um let's get into the categories. Let's get into best scene. I will uh, I'll list some nominees. We can kind of talk about them. We can we can pick one at the end. There's a lot. There's a lot of good scenes in this movie. Uh, the beginning where Doug kicks that guy's ass because he used gay slurs. Doug Doug Glatt, an ally. Um, the montage of Doug joining that first team, the the lower the the like the almost like the beer league team, like the much lower minor league team learning how to win fights. Um there's one of my favorites, the uh the team intro, which is just when when Doug first gets to Halifax and it's just Gord going around introducing the team and everyone's super Canadian, but you've got the Russian guys, it's like that one for me is hard to beat. When I think about this movie, I, I think about that scene a lot.
7: Anything you need, you tell me he'll do it. Don't hesitate. Good to meet you. It's nice to meet you. I'm Glug Dad. Doug Glatt.
4: It's hey, left winger. Paying for his med school. Asians aren't industrious people. I guess hockey is like
11: math
1: to him.
3: Guys and the pucks are like equations, eh, hey, Where's my
5: fucking helmet?
1: Starting goalie, Michael Belcher. Call him Belchie. He's from Regina. Regina? Drinks a lot of hand sanitizer.
5: What's so fucking funny, giggly bits? <laughs> we have your mama right here. Oh yes. Look at this beautiful smile. There she is. Say hello. Oh, it's
10: called fuck oh, your oh,
5: mother.
10: Oh, oh, work.
5: Yes. Oh, this like a bill. You
2: fucking Chernobyl motherfuckers. No mother's
5: pussy so fucking tight. No way, baby, come out there. No way you adopted. I'm on your team. Does anybody else see this
3: shit? Um, I, I can't really, like, it's it just, it's so funny, every single part of it.
12: Yeah, and that's kind of going, you, you stole one of my, like, chill on the back of my neck moments was the first, like, I'm a sucker for a good intro of a character. Or like an, uh, an origin story. And so that scene when, when Doug kicks the guy's ass in the stands, is one, it's, it's got to be my favorite of the movie in, in general as a big scene. But there's a couple that kind of made, like, I, I laughed out loud at. One of them being the, uh, when the, the Asian guy on the team breaks his nose and the trainer's trying to help him out. And they pull kind of the casual racism card that he's in med school on the side. And he goes, no, no, you know what? Just, just get out of here. I have it.
3: They, they mention that in the team intro thing too. Yeah, when they're talking, the Asians are an industrious people. <laughs> yes. When he's talking about him studying for med school um some some other scenes that are great there's uh Ogilvy's speech before the game. there's a couple of his speech of Gord's speeches, but the one where he's like <laughs> the um three guys in their team are fucking divorced three guys there whose fucking marriages are in the fucking toilet. <laughs> it's just like the whole the whole running gag with the him getting divorced is the best. Oh absolutely um, there's Doug's speech to his parents at the restaurant when he's talking about how like he's proud that he's a part of something is actually a very meaningful. Earn his speech—it's probably the best that Sean William Scott is in the movie. Uh, there's when Doug meets Ross Ray at that restaurant. It Schreiber throwing 110 miles an hour. He's so good. He's got that quote: "Everybody loves the soldiers until they come home and stop fighting." Um, there is Doug taking the puck to the face, uh, leading to the post-game brawl. You can hear that crack when the puck hits its mouth. That like made my body shrivel up when I when I listened to it. Um, there's the final game where it's like Ross Ray is just a savvy, tough veteran at his best. He suckers Doug. He makes him like really earn the crown. And then the Doug and Ross, the boss Ray fight that that's what I've got. Did I miss any other scenes that you guys really liked?
11: All of my scenes that I have are in the list that you just gave that my, my favorite part is the ask. Like, I think you guys both said it, the ass kicking in the stands. It has serious R-rated Henry Rowan Gardner vibes of just like, all right, this is where they discover him. This is where it's going to happen. And then, uh, yeah, the part where he gets hit in the face, that's like the most painful thing I've ever seen. And then all of a sudden when they just start wailing on his face with their sticks trying to like just put the puck in, (laughs) it's like – it's just – Whoever, does, whoever did all these sound effects should have won an Oscar for this movie because the amount of sound effects they had to have put in after the fact that were like punches, sticks hitting the ice, just like teeth falling out, like whatever, the amount of noises that they had to like put in these scenes to make them great, I mean, they just knocked them out of the park and those are my two favorites.
12: Brett, what about you? Sound editing was phenomenal. The one scene that you didn't have was the, the scene where basically La Flemme sort of turns – um, in from from the from a bad guy to a good guy right where it's Doug stands up for him again and he kind of gives him that smirk after the after he uh, when they're heading to the box and then LaFlemme gives him a drop pass and Doug tries to shoot and like botches it but it goes to LaFlemme instead and he gets an assist, like his first ever assist that one I like fist bump for I was like holy shit that is awesome
3: there's surprisingly a big amount of hockey in this movie yes like there's a lot of action. Yeah. I'd have to say for me personally, it's it's what the movie leads up to. It's the the Doug and, and Ross Ray fight. It's like the how it's set up is perfect with the clock ticking down and the power play, Ray kind of sensing that it's like the 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 climax of his career. He taps the glass, asks Doug if he's ready. Kid! Ready? Yes, thank you
6: for
0: asking.
3: It's kind of like Hector versus Achilles and Troy, only if like Hector had won. And then it it goes into the choir singing that operatic song with Ray spitting out the tooth and smiling like... we're watching him kind of pass the crown to Doug. I thought that scene was for a, for a, just a bloody hockey fight. I thought it was beautiful. Just perfect.
11: Well, I love the way that they're just circling and posturing with one another the entire time. And if like the whole lead up to that just doesn't get you like excited enough, the, uh, the bagpipes that they played to set the tone for that entire scene, the beginning, it just, oh, it's so exciting. I, I was just so pumped.
3: All right, last but certainly not least, uh, one of my, one of the funniest guys who've been on this podcast, he's done it a couple times, Mike Camerlengo, you might see him online on Twitter, uh, 60 Second Classics, he is just, the dude is hysterical. Had him on to talk Bloodsport in January, but Mike's been on also to talk Rookie of the Year. Uh, We've talked something else that I I can't remember off the top of my head, a Karate Kid. We did Karate Kid too. Uh, Mike is a Riot couldn't not you know it, it was a, it was a fitting clip to to finish out this best of episode. I'm gonna roll to the credit music after this clip is done. So I want to take the time to thank everyone who has has helped me along this way of making these hundred episodes. Every listener, um, anyone who enjoys this podcast and lets me know that I'm very very appreciative. Um, we you know we've crossed two hundred five star reviews and that's about 199 more than I thought I'd get. And uh, it's been really fun. I'm looking forward to doing, uh, doing the eastbound and down rewatch in a couple weeks. So um, looking forward to that without uh, further ado. Here's me and Mike Kamalengo talking about uh, a couple, couple fun things in Blood sport. At all. And speaking of Van Dam, let's get into best and worst on-screen athlete. And and in the year of 2020, I, I'm now naming these. It is the Kevin Costner and Freddie Prince Jr. best and worst on-screen athlete. <laughs> um, I think it's I think it's pretty apparent. Like Van Dam and then the guy who played Chon Chong Lee, Bolo Young, they're, they're just beast. They're both just fucking shredded. They look like they know what they're doing. I mean, per the trivia, they definitely actually do know what they're doing. Uh, you know, who are we to say that those guys are great athletes?
9: Yeah, I, I had Chong Li down as my pick, basically because he's, like you said, he's shredded. He does the old nipple thing where he makes his boobs go. That's a, that's a sign of an athlete right there. He's a he's real fighter. for pecs. Oh, God, those things, man. You could, uh, you could eat a full breakfast off them. They're just huge.
3: Massive. Massive I, pecs.
9: And I think I'd throw Van Damme in there, too. He's probably got some... He's obviously athletic in some fashion. I mean, he pulls it off, and he's, he's also shredded.
3: I mean, he's doing the splits, so clearly an athlete. Um, did you write anyone down for worst?
9: Yeah, the guy who Chong Li kills, he, um, just like the beginning of the fight, he, his, his kicks are so bad. He's doing these leg kicks like he's trying to step on ants or something. It's like, dude, you're going to die. It's not going to end
3: well for you. He kind of earned his death from Chong Li. Yeah. Kind of deserved yeah. it. Um, Ho- Hoseen or Hoseen, whatever, the the potential attempted rapist. I had him down. Um, you know, he uh, Van Dam punks him with that little quarter trick or with the coin trick. And then he just he beats the shit out of him really quickly in the fight. So he he looked like uh what what you'd imagine a, a scrawny rapist would look like. Um How let's about get into the, the Lenny Harris the pinch hitter. Oh, go ahead. Oh, no, co- how, that's how a good call with the, the police- cops.
9: The cops they they are not uh very athletic. They they're slow when they're running. They're not great at fighting. Um they just don't have an all-around fighting skill set. You know, not a five-tool player. You can't use them on your team.
3: Oh yeah. No way. They're uh I feel like there's going to be some discipline for them when they get back to the States. You, yeah. you'd, you'd have to think, right? Like They're not getting sent on another mission. Definitely not together, and they're probably like, okay, you guys are on desk duty for at least six months.
9: Yeah, because they're, they're going to come back with a huge credit card bill that they're going to try to expense, and the, the their sergeant or whoever's is going to be like, dude, what the fuck is this? You were due back last week. I'm not paying 1200 bucks in... You know, Hong Kong strip clubs, or whatever the fuck you guys are doing.
3: Yeah, honestly, they might get fired. Like that might be the the spiritual sequel to this is them getting fired.